0: And who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way?
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 23 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and once again, I have Bob Fisher with me. Yay! Thanks for having me back. We're talking about
2: one of these tonight is in my top 10.
1: I think... One of these, not ah, what the hell? We'll spoil it. The stolen costume.
2: Yeah,
1: it's <laughs> yeah. probably in everyone's. Yeah, it's a top five probably. Probably,
2: yeah, it's it's uh, a very special episode.
1: It might be the best episode of the series. It's either that or panic. I, I don't know. No comment till the time limit is up. <laughs> that, that, that's another. That's another good one, and that one's coming up pretty soon. Yeah, that's a good one too. That's a that, that is. One. So yes, the stolen costume and. And then we're gonna to go to Peru for the treasure of the Incas. Oh, so, uh, gee, Mike, is that the way they originally aired? I have no idea. I wasn't alive. Before. Oh, oh mm. uh, there's this thing called Wikipedia. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's very it's kind of interesting because I have conflicting dates. Uh-huh. And they and being in the nature of TV back then, right. they're probably all right. Because I don't know if I don't think there were any kind of hard and fast networks back then where everything aired at the same time. There
2: were some shows that had the statue to do that. I Love Lucy, for example, Jackie Gleason, some of the huge Jack Benny, the big, big, huge names. When their show aired on CBS at eight o'clock on Tuesdays, it aired in every market at eight o'clock on Tuesdays. Some shows like Superman aired on Monday nights in some markets tuesday nights and other markets yeah.
1: right so. so
2: yeah it was could depend on the local affiliate
1: and who knows if they aired, if the local affiliate aired them in the right order too correct
2: cuz i'm not sure right now and it's something that i have to look up again which i didn't do but i'm not sure how much how many of these episodes were shipped out in advance to the right. to the local stations because remember it wasn't video <laughs> they actually sent film film to be broadcast So
1: Basically, what what happened is there's conflicting orders here. Everything that I look at, which is basically the three sites that I've been using are supermanhomepage.com, imdb, and tv.com. And obviously, the DVD has a certain order, which we all figure is the original broadcast order.
2: That's what I assumed until today, actually.
1: And everything has the stolen costume with episode 13 episode 14 is where things get tricky mm-hmm. because the DVD lists and for just as a general information, these episodes are being done in the DVD order, regardless of what the original broadcast order may have been. Meaning mean that I have the DVDs in front of me. That's kind of the mm-hmm. easiest way. To right.
2: Move. And that's how most of most people now are going to uh, look at these. If they have them at all, they're going to have them on the DVD.
1: Right. So, like I said, everything agrees Mm. that Stolen Costume was episode 13. Right. Now, here's where things get weird. The Superman homepage lists episode 14 as Mystery in Wax, which I am going to cover on next week's episode. Mm, mm -hmm. However, IMDB, the DVD, and TV.com list Treasure of the Incas as episode 14 wikipedia lists
2: mystery and wax
1: episode 14 okay wikipedia lists mystery and wax Mm -hmm. okay
2: i that's why today i did a double take when i
1: was getting
2: ready to you know take some notes and look at the shows for the the thing and i looked at it and went wait a minute if we're doing these in order, mystery and wax is supposed to be up. And then when I looked at the DVD and realized, well, wait a minute, the DVD has Treasury of the Treasure of the Incas as episode 14. That's when I did what you're doing. I started looking these things up and saw that in two or three places, Mystery and Wax is listed as 14, and two or three other places, Inca is listed as 14. And the DVD lists Incas before mystery and wax so that's interesting if you had just asked me if before i looked it up i would have thought that stolen costume and mystery and wax were back to back that's what i was thinking in my own little brain and when i looked up you know the message you and i had talked about which episodes we were going to do and i saw you know the list of them and i went oh really really Remember, I even sent you a question. I asked you on uh, Facebook, uh, "What happened to Mystery and Wax?" (laughs) Yeah, interesting, isn't it? Did we lose the host? The
1: host was muted. Oh, all right. So, anyway, like I said, IMDb has fourteen as mystery as Treasure of the Incas. Superman homepage has Mystery and Wax as number 14, as does Wikipedia, as 14. IMDb has, and TV.com have, Treasure of the Incas as episode 14. And the only thing everybody seems to agree on is that episode 14 aired on December 19th. So apparently we have a a two-to-two vote on what is actually episode 14. Interesting.
2: Well, again, I should have looked at my serial-to-serial Book and see what Mister Grossman lists the episode order.
1: Well, but then you look at the DVD sleeve, and while it lists the episodes, Treasure at fourteen, right? The description is of Mystery and Wax. See, a, that I think Mystery and Wax is the real fourteen. It probably is. Yeah, very interesting. And very interesting. Superman homepage and Wikipedia lists Treasure as episode fifteen. Right. And on on the DVD, underneath episode 15, Double Trouble, is the description for Treasure of the Incas. Right. So I think there's a typo there. Yeah. There was probably a typo in the way they recorded the, ordered the shows on the DVD. Right. And episode 16 is listed as Double Trouble on Wikipedia and Superman homepage. And under the title, Mystery and Wax, is the description for Double Trouble. (laughs) So... Right. Well, Every source is confused on this episode. On this
2: episode. But, dear listener, tonight, for your purposes of following along on this episode, our episode number 14 will be Treasure of the Incas. Right. So we will be doing 13 and 14. As listed on the DVD. Stolen costume followed by Treasure of the Incas.
1: So anyway... I am going to take a quick break. I'm going to play a promo. And then I'm we're going to come back with The Stolen Costume. Hang around. As
3: superhero movies are becoming mainstream entertainment at theaters around the world, comic fans also have plenty of heroic action on the small screen to keep them sated while waiting for the next blockbuster. We are in a golden age of superhero television shows, with plenty of offerings from both the Marvel and DC universes, and the trend shows no sign of slowing down. To chronicle these recent shows and even examine some of the classics, we are proud to present Weekly Heroics, A Two True Freaks Guide to Heroes on TV. In every podcast, we'll be doing recaps of individual episodes of one Marvel show and one DC show, until we catch up to them or some supervillains shut us all down. My name is Scott McGregor, and I'm the fastest podcaster alive. That's what she said. And I'm Chris Tyler, one of your agents of cool. To bring you this podcast, we each have to become someone else. We each have to become something else.
2: Two! True!
1: Welcome back, folks, and we're going to head right into The Stolen Costume. Original broadcast date, December 12th, 1952. I'm suspicious of these dates now, with, with all the Adam artists. Right.
2: <laughs> we'll assume around December 12th of 1952.
1: Yeah. Written by Ben Peter Freeman and directed by Lee Shalem. Guest cast includes Norman Bud as Johnny T-Ball Sims, Frank Jenks as Candy Myers, and I'll have a bunch to say about Candy. Yeah. He's a lot of fun. Oh,
2: God. Love Candy.
1: Vita Ann Borg is Connie. Dan Seymour, who most of you will remember from The Mind Machine, is Ace. And Robert Williams is a uniformed officer.
2: Hey, Robert that's... Williams.
1: Yeah, he, he does. He gets to shoot somebody. Yeah, do you have a
2: list in front of you how many times Ace, the, the actor...
1: I looked him up for The Mind Machine. That's three. Three, okay.
2: Yeah, I thought he did more than three because it was Mind nah, Machine. He, only... he did a robot. Remember, he was in the one with the robot.
1: Yep, that's in the next week or the week after.
2: Yeah, and this one. So that's the only three?
1: That's Yep, that's the only three IMDB has listed. Interesting. And I believe they're all season one. Yes, so. they are. They're
2: all season one. And we never see Connie again. This is her one and only Superman yeah. shot. And But you're doing
1: Synopsis now, aren't you? I am doing Synopsis. <laughs> Brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. Okay, I'll be right over here. Okay. Metropolis has been plagued by a series of robberies done by someone dubbed the Rope Burglar. The culprit, one Johnny T-Ball Sims, has entered through the bedroom window of apartment 5H in the Standish Arms Apartments on Standish Place. It is the home of Daily Planet reporter Clark Kent. T-Ball's fingers touch a hidden button that opens the door to a secret closet. Inside, he discovers Superman's costume. Seeing a means to make a quick buck, T-Ball takes to see. T-Ball has been shot by a police officer. However, he has made his way to the apartment of Ace and his girlfriend
4: Connie. I got a big deal, Ace. Big deal. Oh. 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 Who is he, Ace? Uh, two-bit punk. His name's T-Ball. He's been shot. So what? Does he have to come up here to cash in? Big deal. Superman. What's he talking about? How should I know?
5: Ace, look. He said Superman. This must be Superman's costume.
1: The thief is severely injured, but Ace still has Superman's costume in his possession. An agitated Clark Kent is in his apartment waiting for private detective Candy Myers.
4: Hello, Kent. Come in, Candy. Sorry to get you here in the middle of the night. Oh, well, that's all right. Private detectives and doctors get used to that. Have a cigarette? No, no thanks. I don't use them. Well, what's the matter? Are you in trouble? Yes, Candy. Someone broke in here tonight while I was gone, and they took. Well, they took something. I want to find out who it is and get it back. Get what back? I, I can't tell you. Huh? I-, I can't tell you what it was. Why not? I just can't, Candy. Now, look, I need your help. Sure, sure. Now, relax, pal. I've never seen you like this before. Now, let's start at the beginning. Somebody broke in here tonight. That's right. I was at the doctor's office being examined. You see, the paper has a new group insurance plan. That's, well, that's how it happened that this thing was in the closet. What thing? Uh, I told you, Candy. I can't tell you. What do you expect? Look. Uh, let's not waste time trying to pump me. Uh, did you bring your dusting kit? Sure, sure. Come in the bedroom.
1: Ken shows Candy the secret closet when he arrives, Myers dusts for fingerprints, and wishes to know what was stolen from Clark's home.
4: What have you been hiding in that, Kent? The family jewel? Something a lot more valuable to me. Empty. I know, I told you it was stolen. And I've got to get it back, Candy. And I've got to find out who the thief is. How am I going to look for something when I don't know what I'm looking for? What am I? A swami? Just find the man that took it. What man? The thief. Look. If he left his fingerprints on that panel, we might be able to trace him. And if you just tell me what he stole, I might... Candy, be... please! Okay.
1: T-Ball has just died. However, he was able to tell Connie and Ace where he had gotten Superman's costume.
5: Where'd you get Superman's costume, T-Ball?
4: He doesn't know from nothing.
5: Where'd you get it, T-Ball?
4: Ace will cut me in, huh?
5: Sure, Ace will cut you in. Tell us where you got it.
4: Standish Arms Apartment. Standish Place.
5: Which apartment was it? What was the man's name? Name? The name of the man in the apartment where you found Superman's costume.
4: Dunno. Say nothing.
5: Which apartment was it? Which apartment was it, T-Ball? You know the number, don't you? Number? What was it?
4: Five. Five. Floor. Fifth floor? Why don't you look a poor crumb die in peace? You shut up.
5: T ball, listen.
4: Fifth floor. Pardon. Five. Yeah? Yeah? Five. H he's dead.
5: Great. Now I gotta get rid of a stiff. Ace, listen. He said apartment 5H.
1: The two criminals debate on the validity of T-Ball's claims when Connie gets an idea.
4: Look, if this was Superman's costume, he'd be wearing it, wouldn't he?
5: Maybe he took it off and account of he wanted to be the other guy. What are you talking about? You know. Everybody figures Superman is really two guys. When he isn't being Superman, he's being the other guy. Last night, he was being the other guy. You know what this is worth if it's him?
1: Yeah, plenty. Candy Myers has found the person who has broken into Clark's apartment. Unfortunately, T-Ball is now dead. He was found in a vacant lot with a bullet in his back. Candy does not know if T-Ball had anything with him, and for this reason, Clark leaves for the morgue to get more information. Candy Myers is waiting for Clark to return home. Hearing a noise, he finds Connie picking up items that fell from her purse.
5: Well? I dropped my bag. Got everything? I think so. Is Mr. Fuller in? Fuller? Isn't this apartment 5H?
4: Yeah, but there's no Fuller here.
5: You mean this isn't Mr. Fuller's apartment?
4: No, this is Clark Kent's apartment.
5: Oh, am I dumb. It's 3H. Uh I'm sorry I bothered you, Mr. Candy. I guess I need glasses.
1: She then reveals her discovery to Ace in spite of the fact that Candy does not look much like Superman.
5: The guy's name is Clark Candy. He's a newspaper reporter. Yeah? He don't look like Superman to me, but I guess when he gets the costume on, he looks different. Anyway, I checked with the superintendent. He works for the Daily Planet.
4: That's the guy, baby. Every time Superman does something, it breaks in the planet first thing. We've got to nail it down. What do you mean? Gotta be sure.
5: But you just said yourself. It adds up. He's the guy.
4: Gotta figure this out. Must be a way. I got it. I got it, baby.
1: Candy has left Clark's home and is to meet Clark back at his apartment at 8.30. Afterwards, Ace breaks into the apartment. He plants a bomb in the secret closet, and it is rigged to go off when someone tries to move the door. Should the explosive work and Clark isn't injured, it will prove once and for all that Clark Kent is Superman. Ace and Connie have just seen Candy enter the apartment, believing that he's Clark. Candy, in the meantime, is having no luck getting Clark to talk about what was taken from the closet.
4: For Pete's sake, will you stop wearing out the rug? You're driving yourself nuts and me too. Look, Kent, I'm your friend, ain't I? Yes. You know I'm not hanging around here just to get a fee. I want to help you. So let me. What's this all about? What was wiped out of that closet? Well... I can't tell you. Well, then how in blazes do you expect me to help you, Kent? I guess you can't help me after all, Candy. I guess no one can. Let's forget it and go get some dinner. Okay. I gotta wash my hands. Hey, Kent. Yes? Did you leave this closet open? I know. Well, it's open now. It is.
1: That's it. Clark runs in time to save Candy from the explosion. However, the private detective is more curious than ever. The neighbors that heard the noise of the bomb have been dealt with by Candy. Some time has passed and Clark receives a call from Ace. Hello. Yes,
4: who's calling, please? Can Mr. Kent speak on the phone, please? You didn't get hurt or nothing tonight, Kent? Hurt? No, uh... Who is this? How would you like to get back what was stolen out of your secret closet last night? Yeah, I've got it. Got it hidden in a nice place. If you want to get it back, come over to 1214 West Street. Third floor. Come alone. Well, uh... I'm expecting some important phone calls. Why don't you come over here? Wait a minute. wants us to come over there. No. He won't try nothing. We got him over a barrel. OK. We'll be over in 15 minutes. Candy, you'll have to leave. can't you're crazy. I'm sorry, I can't help it, Candy. you just have to leave, that's all. OK. I'm finished. Done. Washed up. But just remember this. When you're stretched out on a slab in the morgue, I won't be able to help you. Good night.
1: Ace and Connie find Candy outside of the Standish arms. Still believing that Candy is Clark, the two villains drive to their home to discuss the matters with Candy.
4: Who are you, Buggy? Me, and Kent. What are you doing down here? Didn't you think we were coming? Some people trapped up the apartment. I couldn't get rid of it. Oh. Well get in the car, we'll go someplace else. I'm not your place. Why not? Connie, you drive.
1: Clark sees this from his window, but he suddenly realizes that he doesn't have a Superman suit. Ace is starting to get suspicious. He doesn't believe that Candy is Clark Kent or Superman.
5: What are we waiting for? Let's
4: get down to business. Sure. Wait a minute. How come you pack a gun, Kent? Well, uh, a reporter sometimes gets himself in bad spots like like this one now. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, I ain't so sure. What do you mean? What was wiped out of your secret closet last night? You know. Yeah, I know, but to you, give it a name. We're wasting time. Give it a name. Let's stop playing games and get down to cases. OK, we'll stop playing games.
5: The bullets bounce right off him. Hey, this guy's Superman, not him. Is he dead?
4: No, I just knocked him out so we wouldn't hear this. Now talk, and talk fast. Who must have you told about me, and where's my costume? We ain't told nobody yet. Just her and me now. Nobody has to know if you'll play ball.
6: You want to make a deal?
4: Natch, let's sit down and talk turkey. I don't make deals. Save your breath. Okay, then we do a little talking. We tell everyone that Kent is Superman.
5: Yeah, and that'll put the whammy on your Superman racket,
4: but... Good. You aren't going to tell anybody. How are you going to stop us? You won't kill us. Everybody knows that Superman don't kill people, so how are you going to stop us? I'll find a way. You better put some warm clothing on. We're going places. You, your girlfriend, and I.
1: With his costume returned to him, Superman takes Connie and Ace to a secluded, snowy mountaintop where a cabin is located.
4: There's no way of getting down. The cabin's very comfortable. Now, that you have plenty of wood to heat it, get enough food to eat. You're not going to leave us here. Now wait a minute, listen. You'll have to stay here until I can think of another way to keep you from talking. We won't talk honest. I don't believe you. Look, can we give you back your costume? Who are willing to forget the whole thing. Ain't we confident? I can't take the word of would-be murderers and blackmailers. I'll be back soon with everything you need. Now don't try to escape. Your lives wouldn't be worth a nickel.
6: I'll see you soon.
1: Now, now wait a minute, listen. Ace doesn't believe Superman will be back.
4: No, what are we going to do? I don't know about you, but I'm getting out of here. Are you crazy? Look down there. We can make it. No, Ace, I'm afraid. What do you want to do? step up here and starve to death? He said he was going to bring us food. Stop kidding yourself. He's going to bring us nothing. Now, oh, all right. I'm going down. You watch
1: where I stop. And then you follow me.
5: No, Ace, I can't.
4: You gotta, you hear me? You
5: gotta. All right, all right.
1: And he and Connie climb to the bottom, only to fall to their deaths. Candy Myers is surprised. He knows that Clark has found what was taken from him and the thieves are dead.
4: Let me get this straight, boy. You found what you went after. That's right. And the guy who had it was dead? The guy and the woman. They fell off a cliff. Well, what do you know? They fell off a cliff, did they? Mm Mm-hmm. Kent, you must think I'm an awful sap. Why, Candy? Why, he asked me. But any minute you'll be trying to tell me that I'm J. Edgar Hoover and you're Superman. Could be. That did it. Goodbye, Candy.
1: So long, Candy. So, a couple notes before we get into Bob's thoughts on the episode. Apparently, Private Eye Candy Myers was a semi-regular character on the radio series from about 1944 on. And this is his only appearance in the show, however. And this story is based on the story Mystery of the Stolen Costume, which originally aired from March 10th through April 1st, 1948, and then was remade in half-hour form as Dead Men Tell No Tales on January 21st, 1950. And again, under the original title on January 16th, 1951. In the first radio version, the detective role was not Candy Myers, but Batman, who on the radio show was the only person to know who Superman was. Using Candy Myers in the final fate of the blackmailing couple came from the Dead Men Tell No Tales version. So, Bob, what would you think of this episode? Oh, this is
2: this is just as good as it gets right here, boys and girls. <laughs> it's too bad Warner Brothers has never taken the time... To to, re, to clean this sucker up and make a print, a better print of it. It's a terrible print, even on the DVD and everywhere. It doesn't matter what format you no. get this in. It's a terrible print. It looks bad. <clears throat> but this is just a terrific episode. Even though it is very atypical, it's typical of, you mentioned the radio show of the time. Of the 40s. This is very typical of the radio show. And I'm glad you brought that up. That this is a story that was told on the radio show. And everything you said there is just really terrific. Candy Myers being a character that was brought on the radio show. The fact that on the radio show, the Superman radio show, Batman uh, is there on more than one occasion. They team up. So it's new for us to be seeing Batman and Superman on the big movie screen for the first time ever. But back in the 40s, they were on the radio together as a team, and this particular story was originally for the radio. But I like everything about this 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 story. None of the other regulars are there. We don't see Lois or Perry or Jimmy. None of them are there. This is this is Clark having to deal with another problem outside of the Daily Planet and calling on his friend Candy, the detective Candy. And you get that feeling. I say his friend Candy. You get that. Yeah, you
1: do. He actually says that in the episode.
2: Right. And you get that from the acting. They actually, there's no doubt. You get the idea. These guys are friends. They've worked together. Candy has helped Clark or vice versa. They have worked together and become friends. Like the friendship we'll eventually see and we see with Inspector Henderson and Clark Kent. But I like everything about this episode. And there are some, um, you know, it, it brings up, it's one of the most heatedly debated episodes in the Superman mythos, comics, every time anything comes up about should Superman kill or not, this episode is brought up right along with all of the other examples of him either killing or allowing someone to die. So it's an interesting episode and interesting in the questions that it raises and the extents that Clark Kent will go to to protect his secret identity. And we talked before about the small apartment. This is the same apartment we see in previous episode,
1: and this is the episode that establishes where Clark lives, right? As the Standish Arms apartment, five H, and yes, and then they will confirm that again in a future episode, a couple episodes down the line, right? They'll say Standish Arms again. So it's not something that just kind of got thrown away it's something.
2: No, else. that they use that even even when he has a different apartment. I think in the fourth or fifth season. Of one of the color episodes. And next next season in Panic in the Sky, when they show the larger apartment and the birthday, not the birthday letter. Um the episode where the teenage kid becomes like Jimmy Olsen's buddy and Oh yeah, yeah. That you one. know, when you know, this kid comes to live with Clark and Jimmy's also staying at Clark's apartment. Uh that's also mentioned as the Standish Arms. I don't think they give the number five H but it's an entirely different apartment but they do oh. keep the 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 name Standish Arms as the TV that's not where he lives in the comic books of course but his TV in this show
1: that was his address maybe he got a raise between seasons 1 and 2 and moved to a bigger apartment
2: <laughs> right
1: yeah and you know i mentioned the radio show early on the next episode we're going to cover tonight too is Treasure of the Incas was also done on the radio also
2: a radio show, show. i was going to mention that and
1: too. it's important to note that the same producer I believe it was Robert Maxwell Mm -hmm. produced both this and the radio show. Exactly. Also, Whitney Ellsworth, who
2: will come on board next season. Yeah, Whitney Ellsworth will come on board next season. With season two. And also did comic books and radio. So they were keeping it in the family, so to speak.
1: Yeah, they were. And it's nice to see that they were doing that back then. Because for a long time, after this show and really up until now with Jeff Johns coming on to steer the movies... They've kind of shunned the comic book people. Yeah, pretty much. And I think they're starting to realize the error of their ways in that respect.
2: Yeah, some of these guys know what they're talking about.
1: Some of them. So, <laughs> yeah. But th- that is for another time. Yeah. But Definitely. but this is
2: such a this is such a good episode from from beginning. I just
1: to, wish it looked better.
2: Yeah, if it looked better, and, you know, and, and I would love to see a much better print. I'd like to see a good clean print of this. But then I wonder what I would I be missing. There's there's such an old nostalgic feel when I see this episode. It makes it almost like yeah, it's special. I don't know why I think it's special with that black line running through it the whole time and the fuzzy. P-
1: it's a terrible print. I mean, but that's probably closest to, to the way it looked. <laughs> the when time. you saw it on a small screen <laughs> yeah. in the 1950s. Yeah,
2: it could be. But it is just such a great episode, even though none of his regular supporting cast is here. And he's a little out of character, but not really. He's still very concerned, and it's obvious at the time. Uh, he almost feels panicked. Yeah, there is definite panic, because at the time, this is obviously his only costume. And it's the one that Ma Kent made for him and gave to him in Superman on Earth. Which is the only well, time know, we it's see she, her
1: in Superman on Earth. We don't know what happened to Ma. Can't that.
2: No, we don't. That was the only time she was bye bye at the bus station, and that was it. Maybe,
1: maybe after this episode, he got on the phone to Ma and asked her for more copies. Yeah,
2: you know, and off the page, we have to go with that and say, Ma, uh, just in case somebody steals this one again, uh, you got any of that material left? Because obviously, in Panic in the Sky, and see we see multiple costumes, and in multiple, in other episodes, in the secret closet, we've seen more than one shirt. Right, we've seen him do that before.
1: Definitely Panic in the Sky. Yo, he opened, and in the episode where Jimmy the Kid up Jimmy the
2: Kid also in the color. Episode.
1: There are multiple costumes hanging in that closet. Right,
2: Jack Larson was very good in that episode.
1: Jack Larson is very good in everything. Yes, yes, he <laughs> is. Yes,
2: he is. Yes, he is.
1: So we start off with The Rope Burglar, and according to the commentary from Gary Grossman, yeah. the newspaper at the beginning of this episode was used in one of the others. Oh, okay, okay. Just a kind of a fun little note. Okay,
2: well, they reused a lot of stuff, yeah. and it wouldn't surprise me if it was crime, crime Czar or, I mean, Crime Wave or Czar of the Underworld. Both of them used lots of twirling newspaper headlines. Right.
1: And obviously, this guy just kind of by accident falls upon the Holy Grail. He finds he accidentally hits the button, and there's the Superman costume. On the night that Clark is at a doctor's appointment, I don't know how exactly Clark got checked out by the doctor, but that's just kind of glossed over. <laughs> right. As he's trying to escape, Clark's with the costume. The rope burglar, whose name is T-ball, he gets shot by uh, by that one police officer, and he goes to Easton County and brings them the costume. You know, it's funny
2: when he was getting shot at by the police, he was getting shot out a lot rounding that he was. corner while he was in Clark Kent's apartment, looking out the window, they were shooting at him and he was ducking. So the cops right then were just saying, Hey, there he is. They'll shoot. Bang, bang. Yeah. They were shooting all over the place at this guy, and they finally got him in the back, got him once.
1: Yep. They did. But, Apparently, that still wasn't enough for him to not get away.
2: <clears throat> right. He got away and made it up to Ace and Connie.
1: We get our first scene with Clarky Candy.
2: I love Ace here, too. Oh, we're... Oh, oh okay. Yeah.
1: I'll talk more about Ace later. Okay. I'll talk about Candy. First. Gotcha. So what do you think of Candy? I think Candy. Oh, Candy's
2: great. Yeah, he's great. He's right out of the crime noir, you know, right out of the pulp fiction crime books. I mean, that's a private detective right there. There he is. Jaded as hell. Just, you know, he's a gumshoe. He's a guy. He's got a, yeah, he's he's perfect. He's absolutely perfect. You know what else I like about this episode, too, and all of the episodes in the 50s? It's a time when men still wore hats. And right. you can tell a whole lot about the character of the man by the kind of hat he wears. It's just part of the costume. And uh, Candy's hat looks like a cop's hat.
1: <laughs> right. It's interesting that Clark doesn't call Henderson about this, but... right. I guess Henderson is a little too official for Clark's needs. Exactly,
2: right Clark has to
1: go to a private detective. I just love Candy's frustration as Clark is asking for help, telling him something's been stolen, but he won't tell him what it is. And Candy keeps asking. I mean, eventually Clark just yells at him. <laughs> right. And I, I kind of feel kind of bad for him, you know. Candy's trying he's to do trying, his job, man. He's trying to help. Yeah, but Clark is not making it very easy. And eventually they just say, go get the fingerprints, tell me who it was. T-Ball gets the costume to Ace and Connie. So what do you think of our criminal couple for this episode?
2: Oh, I love them. I I think this is, I forgot the actor's name playing Ace. Dan Seymour. Dan Seymour. I think this is his best. I like him here better than in Mind Games or the Mind Machine. Mind Machine and I was thinking John Lennon Mind Games. Kind of playing those Mind Games together. And the robot one. I think this is his best one. I love the interaction between him and, and Connie, <clears throat> I just think they are just terrific. The some of the scenes, you know, and she's all concerned. He's got a ball and he's going to, well, he doesn't have to come up here to croak, you know, to cash right. in. Uh, the dialogue is just, every character is right out of a crime drama, pulp fiction story. Every single one of them, the way they talk back and forth. And I love Connie. I love her dialogue. <clears throat> And her well, accent, she, the way she's just talking that accent and it don't bind on it. It don't bind. You can't cut it. Uh, she's great. I love these two. I think these are just, um, yeah, I think that's why it's one of my favorite episodes is right. because of the these two and the way they play it off each other. They're just terrific.
1: Right. Yeah. And uh, you're right. They're great. Dan Seymour was definitely at his best in this one of the three. And I, I love how Connie's got the costume and she's got a lighter. I wonder how they, how they did that. Kept her from oh. catching the suit on fire. It don't. I can. B- I can believe that the scissors wouldn't cut. It. Right. Yeah. Even see. Gary Grossman said that in the commentary. So scissors didn't cut back then. Anymore. No, they
2: didn't cut. And you dull. You take a pair of dull scissors, and they're going to do exactly what those do. They're just going to pinch. And particularly, that costume is made of really thick, heavy wool.
1: Right. Nothing was cutting that. Right. Not much. And not much. And she's the one who lays out the theory that he has a secret identity. He's the other guy. I love
2: that. When he's not being Superman, he's being the other guy.
1: I love that. God. Last night he was being the other guy. Apparently
2: he was being the other guy. Yeah. Oh, she's so good. She's so good.
1: And uh, so then you mentioned none of the other supporting cast. You really don't need the supporting cast. I don't think you'd want them. around.
2: Not in this one. This is strictly a Clark. This is outside of business. This is a personal Clark story. Personal Superman
1: But you would think that he'd have to go to work at some point. This has taken place over, I believe, over at least a couple of days.
2: Yeah, well, they mentioned that he's getting back from the office. Apparently, he does go to work. And they, when he told Candy, meet me at the apartment at 830, so he's getting home at 830 from the office.
1: Yeah, he called Candy at his own apartment right. to tell him to come back then. Right. Right? Because Candy just kind of sat around in his apartment. Well,
2: he told him to when he left. He said, I have to go, Candy. I'm going to the, he was going to the morgue. And Clark was going to the morgue. Because they had found T-Ball's body, so Clark was going to go to the morgue. And then he calls Candy and says, told Candy to stay there. Candy stayed And then Clark calls him and said, meet me back at the apartment tonight at
1: 8.30. Right.
2: And that's when all hell
1: broke loose. It did. <laughs> and Connie comes over to the apartment. She. It's a good thing that while T-Ball was on the run that he had all the time to uh, take in all these details. That he knew what building he was in, what number the apartment was.
2: Oh, he's a good second story man. He knows where he's going. I'd like to know which apartment above Clark's he was robbing. Yeah. Because he was climbing down a rope. Yeah, he was good old and, T-ball. Um,
1: maybe the person upstairs uh, moved out, and that's why you got to have Clark at the bigger apartment for season two. <laughs> Candy comes out, and he all of a sudden becomes 16. He's got this big smile on his face when he sees Connie. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Straightening <laughs> his tie.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you see, that's how, you see Jimmy doing that um, a lot. Well, hello. Yeah, and apparently she thinks that Candy is Clark, despite the fact that Candy looks like to be about a foot shorter than Super. Right, easily. I love the quip as she walks away, saying, Oh, you're not Mr. Fuller? Maybe I need glasses.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's so, just really good. They're so, so good. They're all great. Yeah, and they all play it so straight. They're all just mm-hmm. right in it. That's what I love so much about this first season. They are just playing it so real.
1: And even Gary Grossman talked about that. Talked about that. When you look at this series, especially the first season, aside from Superman and the Mole Men, they made twenty-four short films.
2: Yes. Exactly. Exactly.
1: And they work on that level. Yes, they do. Anyway, Connie goes back to back home to Ace and she points out that Candy doesn't look like Superman, but then she just assumes the costume makes him look different, <laughs> as if the costume has some kind of hypnotic power. Yeah, it's
2: going to add 10 inches to your height.
1: Right. And, and make you about uh, 25 years younger. Right. Like I mentioned before, not only is Candy made himself at home at Clark's apartment, but he answers the phone, too. Of course. I just love the fact that Clark asks Candy if he can come to the apartment later. He's already there. He doesn't have to move. Well,
2: except that we're, they're giving us the feeling that this is early in the day. Right. Because I think that's is isn't that where he calls from the morgue or right. uh, a pay phone somewhere. He had gone yeah, to the morgue because uh, Candy had died the night, the previous night. I mean, not Candy. The T-ball. T-Ball died the night before. Ace called a couple of his mugs to come get rid of the guy. And it was the next morning they found him in the dump. And Candy was coming to tell Clark. And Clark was then leaving the apartment to go to the morgue to see if they found anything with t-ball and told candy to stay there then called him back and said meet me again at the apartment later tonight
1: right he released him to go do whatever to see was going to go do with his day yeah exactly
2: and clark apparently went to work
1: and apparently tonight clark works until eight o'clock right and at, at first it seems as though connie is a little more into this plan than ace is but eventually Ace comes up with this great idea to set up the bomb in the apartment.
2: Yeah, and that kind of changes uh, Connie's mind a little bit. Right. But she still hangs in there. She still does it.
1: You know what really would have been interesting? Being that they're working under the assumption that Candy is Clark. Right. It would have been kind of cool to kind of see George Reeves walk by them and walk into the building on his way home. <laughs> and them have no idea because they're looking for someone else.
2: Mm. Well, when Candy parked the car to go up to the apartment, he parked right in front of him. He almost hit them, bumper right. to bumper, and walked into the apartment and acted like he didn't even see the two of them sitting there watching him. It's very strange.
1: Well, he seems sometimes like he's a little bit a uh, little bit out there. Mm-hmm. I don't think Clark wanted the, uh, the best private investigator in the world on this.
2: In the uh, radio show, he was pretty good
1: sometimes. Right. But... Mainly expositional, I think. Right. Like This time he's kind of more confused than anything else because he's chasing something. He doesn't know what he's looking for. And he never finds out what he's looking for either. Right. And he probably had an emergency room bill after this whole episode was over, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> so they're in the apartment, and then they decide it's time for dinner. And Candy wanders into the bathroom and suddenly asks if Clark left the closet door open. Because the first thing I do when somebody asks me if I left the door open is run across the house in a panic. (laughs) Right. And that's when the bomb goes off. Ace and Connie go home, and that's when Ace makes his phone call. Yeah,
2: that was a big boomer, too. That was a a big boom.
1: That wasn't a little bit. And nobody else else seems to have noticed. No, except the doorbell rang. Ding, 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 ding. You'd think there'd been some fire department running around after all. You'd
2: have thought there'd have been a lot, but apparently a couple of neighbors just rang the doorbell. Clark sends Candy to them to say, everything's fine, no big deal. And why right. wouldn't, do they know Candy? They would probably know Clark. Right. But they're going to accept the word of the stranger after hearing an explosion and this strange guy coming to the door while Clark, quote, cleans up the mess. And well.
1: Pl- and the hole in the wall. And the
2: hole in the wall. And Candy's ears had to have been ringing. Right. Kaboom.
1: Clark gets the phone call and he in, and he's invited Connie and over. And this is when Clark uh, chases Candy, and you know Candy gives him some sound advice. He's he's trying, he's doing everything he can to try to help Clark out, and he's going to tell Clark something to the effect of, "Well, I can't help you if you end up dead," or something like that. And you know, that's pretty good advice, but right. he doesn't know. He doesn't. And and right after that, you see this look on Carl on Clark's face. Like, I think you know, he's understandably upset. And I think he's kind of frustrated that he that he knows that he's treating his friend kind of poorly. Right,
2: but he still can't tell him the secret. He can't tell right. him what he's supposed to be looking
1: for. Hopefully he's taking some solace in the fact that he's doing what he's doing. Right. For the greater good. Right.
2: And then Clark actually just then finally just tells Candy, you have to leave. Or they hadn't got the call. Then he gets the call.
1: Right. After he gets the call, he tells Candy he has to leave. And then Candy does get a little upset. Okay, that's it. I'm done. Right. Well, really, the only thing clark needed candy for was to was to identify the the, ro- the, thief. the
2: thief now that clark knows what's going on doesn't need candy anymore
1: no but, but candy kind of just still hangs around right and he's continuing to hang around when connie and ace show up he's outside smoking right could you imagine if somebody smoked on tv today you'd have all the uh, health groups calling the network
2: yeah, I haven't seen anybody smoke. I guess Constantine last year smoked. I guess that's the last time I saw anybody smoke on TV. It's been a while. Did he? Did he smoke? Yeah, he actually did. They showed him once or twice lighting a cigarette. Or yeah, I
1: read, puffing. I read that they weren't going to
2: let him smoke. Uh, he, they would kind of cut it, I and mean, he put the cigarette in his mouth. The lighter was coming up to it, cut. Or they would cut as the cigarette is, or, or come to him just as the cigarette's coming out of his mouth and smoke is coming out of his mouth. Right. So they did creatively to say, okay, we're not showing him actually puff the cigarette and smoke it, but we'll show him getting ready to and show him just doing it. There was no doubt Constantine smoked. Connie notices
1: Candy. Well, Connie and Candy, not a season, this episode, Mm. notices Candy hanging out outside the building. And she identifies him as Clark. And Candy goes along with it. Right. I guess Ace didn't realize that the voice was wrong. Ace
2: was not. Clued in at this point.
1: No, but Ace spoke to Clark on the phone. Right. So he didn't notice that Candy had a different voice.
2: Right. And what difference would it make if he has the gun on him? Ace pulls out his gun. Right. And Candy goes with him because, well, I don't want to get shot. He right. didn't say that. But, of course, had it been Superman, the gun wouldn't have
1: done anything. Anything. Now, I love this next shot because Clark sees from the window. Right. That they go off with Candy and he's ready to change it to Superman. But, oops, uh-oh, oops, something's not there. Oops. Got to keep his clothes on. Got to obey the law. Ace realizes that something's going on when they get back to their place because Candy has a gun on him, and he started to figure out that Clark is Superman. No, that that Candy is not it's Superman. It's not super. It's not Kent, right? Right. And now Clark is coming. I love how we get the Superman flight music as Clark runs up the stairs. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this is the first time in the run of the show that we see. George Reeves bust through a wall, in this case, the door. It is.
2: And there. that was the second or third take. That's why there's an abrupt cut there. And then you see him crash through the door coming right at the camera at that
1: point. The two by four or something was still there or something.
2: Yeah, they forgot to take one of the middle, prom, middle pieces out, which makes it a collapsible door. And they forgot to take that middle piece. And when George did it the first time, he went partially through. And right. was not real happy about it. No. And the second time is the one we see on screen is a second take. And there's an abrupt cut. So everything running up to the camera or up the stairs, there was supposed to be another little longer cut on the door.
1: Right. And that's. Fine. But then it immediately goes to the inside right. from coming in that way. Right.
2: Because of the second take they had to do and clean up the mess. and uh, But they did a nice job with it, editing this. They did. So that he comes in really fast, almost super speed fast, giving the impression that he's just really hauling and right. takes the gun out of Ace's hand and knocks Candy out.
1: Candy yeah. yeah. Uh, so really. I just, find, I just find it amusing that the. First time we see Superman break through the wall, he's not in costume. He's
2: not in costume. He's Clark Kent doing it. Yeah. It's very cool. It's a very, very cool
1: scene. One thing that I always wondered, like I said, he's done it all as Clark Kent. Why didn't he take his glasses and hat off? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, he was Clark Kent, man. The hat goes. And he busts through the wall and his hat
2: doesn't fall off. Right. One of the things I've always thought would be funny, if I had a lot of time, this is one of the things that I would like to do as far as really nitpick this show is count the number of times he leaves one room to go to the, clo- to the cloakroom, to the storeroom to change. Right. And in the room, before he opens the door, he has a hat on. But when he opens the door, he doesn't. So, right. or vice versa. So many times the guy, because they keep going back to the same shot of him opening the door to go in loosening his tie or taking his glasses off but where's his hat and so many times he has a hat and then they cut to him opening the door but the hat's gone where's the hat
1: so i wanted to count all of those but i don't have that kind of time left no 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 one no one does and yeah i don't even know if to this point we've seen the storeroom change yet
2: we have not uh wait a minute yeah we have we have did we do night of terror
1: Night of Terror had a storeroom yeah, change? Yeah,
2: because when he had to okay. move Jimmy out to get Jimmy out of the... Or did he just change in his office for that one?
1: He changed in his office. He pushed out Ms. backrack and changed in and his changed office. And changed
2: in his office, yeah. Yeah, I'd have to think about it. I'd have to go back and think, but you might be right. We may not have... I don't
1: think we've seen a storeroom change. A yet. We've, we've seen a lot of alley changes. A lot of alley changes. And there is one episode. I don't know which episode it is, but a cop watches him run down the alley. That's in our next one we're
2: going to talk about.
1: Oh, that is in this one. I've watched so many. I think it's in Incas. It's in Incas. Okay, so I've watched 10 episodes over the course of the past week, so they're starting to blend together. Mm -hmm. So anyway, back to the costume. Clark has a great smile as the bullets bounce off of (laughs) him. Right. And they think they have Clark over a barrel here, but he's in control the whole time. Yep. Because what can they really do to him?
2: Well, they think all they need to do is, you know, do what we tell you or we'll expose to the world who you are. And he has no intention of letting either one of them out of his sight.
1: Right. But he also can't sit and watch them forever. So he brings them to his cabin up in the mountains. And he says to them, he can't trust them. This is when they're having their oh crap moment. At least Aces. Right. Because he's like... He said, oh, wait, you're not going to leave us here. You're not going to bring us food and water and all that stuff. Connie wants to believe that he will, but Ace is backtracking. No, we won't tell anyone. We won't tell anyone. But Superman doesn't believe them. And he tell he tells them not to climb down. Your life wouldn't but be worth a nickel. a nickel. And he goes off to bring them some food and water. Does he? Well, we don't know. <laughs> so we, never, we, we never see him arrive no, back. No, we don't. But we know he goes back because he finds he finds their bodies. Somebody finds their bodies. Well, he knew he knows about it, so cuz he's telling he tells Candy about right. it. Right. Well, day.
2: he's telling him, but we don't know how he knows. He just tells Candy that so, in fact Candy tells him he says you mean you found the people who, the responsible and they died from falling off a cliff. Right. Yeah. It sounds suspicious, doesn't yes, it? Yes, it does. How convenient. You got your <laughs> back and the people who did it fell off a cliff. Great, and how did they get up on top of the cliff?
1: Yeah, nobody asked that. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of which movie? I think it was movie was. It? I think it was Analyze That <laughs> yeah. with Billy Crystal right. and Robert De Niro. Right. One of the mobsters said, "Yeah, his witness committed suicide. He stabbed himself in the back five times."
2: <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> kind of the same thing here. Right.
2: Well, so you know, we you know we have to know that we believe because you know Superman. Uh, fully intends to do exactly what he said. He's right. putting them up on that cabinet on the top of the mountain that they can't get down without dying. So he will bring them food and whatever and keep them there until when? For how long? For what?
1: Until he comes up with a better idea of what he says. It, and how long does that take? Exactly. So, so
2: there is if, a lot of question about Superman's handling of this situation.
1: So here's the first question. Is he in any way responsible for their death?
2: Well, that that there it is, right? That's the question, isn't it?
1: Right.
2: And, of course, you would say he told them, you know, don't. You wouldn't make it. You can't make it. I'll be back. So you could say he did kind of cover himself, but he put him up there. Right. And part of me has always thought that he knew Ace wouldn't just sit there quietly waiting for him to come back. Right. So – you know, it's, in the golden age, this happened a lot, right? Uh, where Superman would, instead of saving a whole plane, just pull out a couple of the good guys, or Lois, and let right. the plane go down with the bad guys still in it. You know, th- that was the golden age, and this is the closest to the golden age Superman we've ever had, is George right. Reeves. So part of me says he knew exactly what would happen to them if they tried to get down. He warned them not to try.
1: Right, and he also did not have to leave them at the cliff fit, at the end of the cliff. And he didn't have to leave them there. He could have left them right at the cabin. And we never saw the cabin. They never showed we never us saw the, cabin. the
2: cabin. So yeah, there's there's lots of questions about the ending of this particular episode.
1: And I also don't think this Superman is losing any sleep over their death. Not
2: a bit. He's even smiling at the end when Candy leaves. Right. Whew, boy, dodged a bullet that time. You know, so, yeah, there's a lot of questions about whether Superman would do this or not. Back then, he might have. Yeah, I think he did. I think he totally knew what would happen to them if they tried. And part of him knew they would try. But the the ridiculous part, of course, is she's in a dress, a coat, and high heel shoes. He was barely making it down the two or three steps he tried in dress shoes. Come on, babe, it's a cinch! Yeah, no, but it's not. No, it's not. Her first step is going to take you both out.
1: And it did. She fell, took him out. Right. And
2: so, you know, uh, good episode. Really, really good yes. episode. Makes you think all the way through whether Superman Clark is doing the right thing or not to his friend, to his detective, and, of course, to the bad guys. So.
1: And the thing is, also, what else could he have done?
2: Uh,
1: yeah. Aside from put him in jail, but you knew he why he wouldn't do that.
2: I don't know. Give him a super kiss.
1: Yeah, well, that, that power hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> right. So we're not in the silver range
2: yet. Right, we're not there yet. <laughs> but you're right, but it's a good episode. It's a good episode. It is. It's a good episode. And, and there's a reason why most people will put this up in there towards the top of their most favorite lists of these shows. But I think a lot of the people will put it there because of the ending. Right. Because of the way Connie and Ace met their end. And how much blame do you put on Superman? Right. So it's a good discussion and it's part of. It's been the discussion probably since the thing was
1: released. Maybe because they do go at Ace points out before in this in the scene prior that you're Superman. You don't kill people,
2: right? Right. It actually made a point of that. What are you, right. you going to oh. do?
1: Everybody knows Superman
2: doesn't kill people. And by this point in the fifties, comics code authority, worth them all that stuff. Superman was not killing in the comics at this point. Right. This is the era. In 1951, when this was filmed, that I call the atomic age in comic terms, that time between gold and silver when it was kind of weird, it was trying to get its footing, really didn't, you know, some of the Superman stories, and this is something I'm going to be talking about on a future episode of my show, some of those stories get a little cartoony between 1946 and 1954, that six to eight years or so, because they didn't quite know what to do and how to handle it. In the transfer. Times were changing. They were. And this is a perfect example of that. Excellent, excellent episode. All right, so I don't have anything else, do you? Not a bit. I mean, I, yeah, I could talk about it all night. But yeah, but I think we have done it.
1: <laughs> I think we've all covered right. the stolen costume. Yeah. So one last note I, I want to mention is it took me forever to see this episode. I always knew about it, but it was never really on. Mm-hmm. Maybe because they couldn't find a decent enough print for broadcast. Right. Well, but it was just the first time I actually saw it. I believe was when I got the DVD. Mm-hmm. First time I actually was able to sit down and watch.
2: Right. It. Well, MeTV has shown it when they they do. They're still showing Superman every Saturday at six on the East Coast. If you get MeTV, M E T V. Yeah, I do get. it. And when it comes up in the rotation, this is the print they show, and they edited it a little bit, but not much. They've taken out close editing. For the commercial right. break. It's very close. But the main, main bit is still there.
1: Right. All right. So why don't we take mm. a quick break? I'll play another promo and then we'll come back and uh, go treasure hunting. Yay. <laughs> Hang around.
3: Rocketed from the doomed planet Krypton, baby Kal-El landed in Smallville, Kansas, where he was found and raised by the Kents. Growing up, he was raised with morals and values, which would stay with him for the rest of his life. Now, as an adult, he protects the city of Metropolis and the world as Superman, fighting for truth, justice, and the American way. My name is Mario Benezzi, and I host a show called Up, Up, and Away, the podcast dedicated to anything and everything Superman. From 1938 to today, I cover it all. From comics and movies to TV, radio, and more, you can bet I've covered it on Up, Up, and Away. Or I will cover it. It's kind of how these shows work. Now, this is a character that's meant a lot to me for a great many years, and this show is my love letter to my hero. So if you love Superman as much as I do, or you want to learn a little bit more about him, check out the show. It can be found on iTunes and Potomatic, as well as through Facebook. If you want to contact yours truly, drop me a line at mbenese94 at yahoo.com. That's B as in boy, E N N E S E. Up, Up, and Away is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network.
1: Welcome back, folks, and I'm going to move right along into what I have listed as episode 14. <laughs> ...of season one. It may not have actually been episode 14, but... ...whatever. They're all getting covered just the same. Treasure of the Incas. Original broadcast date... ...was... ...probably December 26, 1952. What's not in dispute, however... ...is that the show was written by Howard Green... ...and directed by Tommy Carr. Guest cast included... ...Leonard Penn as Pedro Mendoza... ...Martin Garalaga... ...as the Chief of Police... Jim Duval as Dr. Cuesta, Hal Gerard as Professor Lavera, Julian Rivero as the taxi driver, and the series guest star of nearly all episodes, Stephen Carr, is Don Anselmo. And I am really annoyed with myself for not realizing until just about the end of this episode that Stephen Carr was Don Anselmo. Uh, I'm not sure I knew at the very end, I recognize his
2: voice. Yeah, I don't think I was paying attention to him.
1: Well, he's getting to the point now where I'm looking for Oh,
2: okay. <laughs> the thing
1: is, like, uh, you know, spot Steve somewhere. Where is Steve? Because <laughs> he shows up in most of the season one episodes. Right. On to our synopsis brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. The collection of South American art and antiques from the late Peter Van Zent estate is being auctioned off. Among the items for forbid is a tapestry with a framework of stars around its image. Lois Lane, covering the event for the Daily Planet, and Professor Lavera, who has traveled all the way from Lima, Peru, has asked... Señorita,
4: excuse. You are going to the auction, no? Why, yes. You look like one to be trusted.
7: I don't understand.
4: I have journeyed all the way from Peru to attend this auction. Really? See, There's a certain piece of tapestry that I must have, but it would be unwise for me to be seen bidding. You will recognize it by its framework of stars. Here is a thousand dollars. Bit as much of it as you may need. Well, but... Uh, please. I will be waiting here.
1: The auction has ended, but Professor Lavera is nowhere to be seen. Unknown to Lois, Lavera has in fact been killed by Pedro Mendoza, a scar-faced villain who also wants the tapestry.
0: You are looking for Professor Lavera, senorita?
7: Well, I don't know his name, but... Uh... He
0: is an amigo. My friend, as you would say. Ah, you have the tapestry. I will take
7: it. I'm sorry, you're not the gentleman who gave me the money.
0: But I am his friend, I have told you.
7: Well, where did he go? He said he'd wait out here.
0: He could not wait. I will take it.
7: I'm sorry, I can't give it to you. But you say you're his friend?
0: See, si, senorita.
7: Then tell him he can reach me at the Daily Planet. My name is Lois Lane.
0: As you wish, senorita. But if you would give me the tapestry now, it might save you much trouble.
7: No trouble, really.
1: Lois is explaining the day's events to Clark Kent and Jimmy Olsen while showing them a tapestry.
7: And imagine he gave me $1,000 to buy that and then disappeared.
6: I wouldn't give you 10 cents for it. Look, it's even got a hole in it.
7: That's a cutout star.
6: It's still a hole. It's strange I haven't heard from him.
7: I don't like the smell of it. I have a feeling there's something rotten in Denmark.
6: You mean there's something rotten in Peru? <laughs> you get it? Peru.
7: Very funny. If he comes in, I'll be in my office.
6: Well, so long, Mr. Ken. So long, Ken.
1: Shortly afterwards, Clark is ordered by Perry White to get to the city more.
6: Professor Lavera was found in an alley behind that auction place, murdered. Well, you better bring the tapestry with you, too. It might give the police a lead. I'll be right over.
0: Miss Lane, and I am pressed for time. My plane for Lima leaves very shortly.
1: <laughs> Clark Kent is waiting for Lois at the city morgue. He becomes worried as time passes, and his eyes scan Lois's office to find her on the floor, unconscious. He changes into Superman and flies into the Daily Planet building to assist her.
7: Oh, my, my head!
6: What happened, Miss Lane?
7: Well, I was just leaving the office, and
6: oh! Take it easy.
7: Well, he came in with a gun. Who? The man who wanted me to give him the tapestry. Not Lavera, the other one. Oh, but you don't know about that.
6: Yes, I do. Kent briefed me. But what happened?
7: I tried to scream and he clamped his hand over my mouth. And I guess he hit me on the head with a gun. Did Clark learn anything at the morgue?
6: Only that Lavera was a professor at the University of Lima, Peru.
7: There's a story behind this tapestry and I'm going to get it.
6: Why not let Kent handle this?
7: Oh, no. Now that Professor Lavera's dead, it's my tapestry and my story.
1: Before... She could take her flight, however. Perry insists that she's accompanied by Jimmy Olsen for her safety.
7: Please, Chief. Nothing doing. But, Chief, if you'll just let me go to Peru, I can crack this whole thing wide open.
4: Now, see here, young lady. I said no, and I happen to be boss around here.
7: Why, of course you are, Chief. That's just why I told Pan Am you'd okay my reservation.
4: What? You've already made your reservation? <sighs> well... I guess it's worth sending you to Peru just to get you out of my hair. Take Olson with you for protection.
7: But I don't need any protection. You heard me. Well, okay. Are you packed? Not yet.
4: Well, what are you standing around here for? Want to miss the plane?
1: The pair of reporters arrive in Lima.
7: Well, we're finally settled. But it certainly took that room clerk long enough to understand your brand of Spanish.
6: Well, that's a crummy hotel, so they speak crummy Spanish. Maybe that taxi driver will me more on the beam. Pardon me, Mr. Senor. Eh, eh, see, si, senor. That's more like it. See, he understands. You're doing fine. Habla espanol? Si. Ask him if he spoke Spanish.
7: Oh, you're marvelous, Jim.
6: Could you comunicado me and the senorita to el Capitan of la police? Oh, la policia? Si. Enter, senorita.
1: They discuss Professor Lavera's murder with chief of police. He suggests that Lois and Jimmy speak with Lavera's colleague, Dr. Cuesta, while the authorities search for information on Pedro Mendoza. Lois and Jimmy have just met Professor Lavera's assistant, Don Anselmo.
8: Dr. Cuesta told me to be looking for you and to show you in. I am Don Anselmo. I was Professor Lavera's assistant.
7: How do you do?
8: Welcome to Lima, Senorita Lane.
7: Thank you, Dr. Cuesta. And this is Mr. Olson.
8: A pleasure indeed, senor. Gracias. I was deeply shocked when I heard about Professor Lavera. Your fellow countryman
6: has told me all about it.
7: Clark, what are you doing here?
6: The chief decided it might take both of us to crack this story.
7: Oh, he did, did he?
6: But how did you get her so fast? Jim, when I'm in a hurry to get someplace, I
8: really fly. Senorita, Professor Lavera's death will be mourned by all Peru. He was a man with a big heart. That is why he was so anxious to acquire that Inca tapestry.
7: But I don't understand.
8: The tapestry could have furnished a key to some very Inca treasures worth many million pesos. Lavera's idea was to find this wealth, then turn it over to the government for the poor and needy. And I was to help him. We spent many happy evenings planning the project. You will now see what I meant when I said the tapestry would lead us to the treasure. This piece of Inca handiwork is a replica of ancient Lima and the country surrounding it.
7: It looks like a companion to the one I bought.
6: You are right, senorita. It has the same framework of stars.
8: But uh, there's no hole.
6: Senor, the
8: hole was the answer we were looking for. Placed over this tapestry, that small cutout star would have shown us the exact location of the hidden Inca treasure. Now, you know the secret of the tapestry, but I have not been of much practical help. Oh, but you have.
6: A lot of things are much clearer than they were. Thank you, Doctor.
7: Well, I wish things were a little clearer to me. But we all can't be so bright, can we, Jim?
6: Me,
4: I'm on a
7: merry-go-round. Well, I do hope we can find some clues, or we've come a long way for nothing.
1: Lois has positively identified Pedro Mendoza. Don Anselmo, was with Lois and Jimmy at police headquarters, has offered to take them for a drive into the country tomorrow. Later that night, Anselmo breaks into Dr. Quest's office. He takes Questa's tapestry and places it under the one stolen from Lois. He then calls Mendoza. Now, the evil Mendoza knows the location of the treasure of the Incas. It is now the next day, Lois and Jimmy are preparing to leave with Don and Selma, when Clark arrives to tell him his theory about the location of the treasure of the Incas.
6: Oh, look who's here. Morning, Lois. Senor. Senor. Hi, Jim. Hi, Mr. Kent. How's it coming, Clark? Well, slow but sure. I spent all yesterday afternoon in the library, reading up on the Incas.
7: Tell me about it sometime.
6: I've been thinking about that little cutout star. Who has it? That little hole could tell us a lot. The way I remember that tapestry, the star was in the upper corner somewhere. That'd be northeast of here. So I looked at a map, and my guess is the treasure is located somewhere near a little town called Madeira. It's in the foothills.
7: And all we have to do is dig through each little hill one by one.
8: Madeira is beautiful country. Perhaps you would like to see it.
7: Anywhere you say, senor. And uh, thanks for the geography lesson, Clark. It was very interesting.
1: Driving through the hot countryside, Anselmo has only these thoughts, ridding himself of Lois and Jimmy, and finding the treasure for Pedro Mendoza. Don Anselmo has strayed to Lois and Jimmy in the middle of nowhere.
8: Get out.
7: Oh, is this Madeira?
8: No, it is not Madeira, but it is the last stop for you and your young friend. Huh?
7: What kind of a joke is this?
8: It is no joke, senorita. You are too inquisitive, you know too much. And in this desolate country, people become silent forever. Get out.
7: I won't budge from this car. Ow. Leave her alone!
1: But this does not stop them as they follow Anselmo's ty- tire tracks to a cave where they hear sounds of digging. Mendoza and Anselmo greet Lois and Jimmy before placing them in chains. In the meantime, the pair of villains search for the Incan treasure leads them to a rock wall on which dynamite must be used.
0: Only that wall now separates us from the Inca treasure. Soon it will be ours. Partly thanks to you, senorita, but it was from you I got the tapestry. There is no use to dig further, Mendoza. The
8: wall is too hard. We had better use the dynamite. See, si, by all means, now.
6: I never should have gotten you into this mess, Jimmy. It's not your fault, Miss Lane. Anyway, I followed the chief's orders and stuck with you right to the end.
1: Superman has freed Lois and Jimmy and used dynamite to trap Mendoza and Anselmo behind some debris.
6: The explosion trapped those two. I'll get them later. You two certainly got yourselves in a fine mess. If Clark Kent hadn't told me you were both headed for Madeira, i hate to think what might have happened to you. Let's
7: not even talk about it.
6: Jeepers, did you see all of those hidden jewels? Yes, Jim. And Professor Levera's dream has come true.
1: Pedro Mendoza and Don Anselmo are in prison. And Lois and Jimmy are leaving Lima for Metropolis.
7: Better find a taxi, Jim. We haven't got much time to catch that plane. Oh, good heavens, I forgot to leave the money for Dr. Cuesta the
6: $960. You can send it to him. I'll go get the taxi.
7: I'm sorry there are only two reservations left, Clark, but I'll tell the chief to expect you.
6: Don't worry, Lois. There's more than one way of getting back. Sure,
7: if you had wings, you could
6: fly. Come to think of it, that's not a bad idea.
2: <laughs> so, Bob. <laughs>
1: What would you think of this one?
2: Oh, this is a fine. This is a solid, you know, solid episode. As usual, any episode that has Phyllis Coates in most of the scenes is just a really good episode. (laughs) And uh, yeah, it's it's fine. It's not, you know, it's not a great one. It's not, you know, one that I think stands out. But I think it's just still a good, solid episode. And everybody's in character and, and doing their part. And Lois is going after a story. You know, to me, it's not quite as intense as the broken statues or as scary as Night of Terror or even Mystery of the Jade statue. But I think it's solid. It's a good, solid episode.
1: And this also, like the stolen costume before it, this is also based on a radio episode, The Riddle of the Tapestry. Right. Which aired on May 25th, 1949. And apparently it was remade a year later as The Riddle of the Mysterious Tapestry. So this one apparently got around on the radio it like you said it's a solid episode there's nothing special about it none nothing stands out it's very interesting hearing steve clark try to do a peruvian accent
2: right i think you know some of the fun bits to me the the best parts of this as i said earlier is the characters themselves some of the right. facial expressions on clark when they see him and it's a surprise he's there and we're surprised as the viewer too how did you get here clark and there's a funny scene i really want to fly when right. jimmy is speaking his broken terrible spanish to the cab driver <laughs> to the cab driver uh, it's a funny scene but to me i can't take my eyes off of phyllis coates in that scene the way she's looking at jimmy it's not an actress it looks like lois lane is just you know just having fun with Jimmy being so cute trying to use his Spanish. It's just so good. These people are so good in their parts. And like I say, this is not one of the, this isn't Panic in the Sky. This isn't stolen costume. This isn't, you know, one of the great, great episodes. But there's hardly anything wrong with it. Right from the beginning, they set up a really nice mystery with the auction, with the guy giving Lois $1,000 to go in and buy a tapestry. After she buys it, comes back out, he's gone. Right. And the way they kill him is terrific. He and the bad guy go behind a building, you hear the noise, then you see his arm fall on the ground from behind the building. You don't actually see any violence. It's nope. it's just terrific scene. It's a, all of a sudden now, you're telling everybody, this is very dangerous stuff. We've already now right. seen a murder A $1,000 tapestry, and a guy with a scar is telling Lois, oh, I'll take that. I'm his friend. And right away from that second on, the reporter Lois Lane takes over. Absolutely. And that's what really makes this episode. So that's why, I, I, again, I say I can't take my eyes off Phyllis Coates. One, because she's Phyllis Coates and she's, well, gorgeous. But she is Lois Lane. To me, if you're going to play the part of Lois Lane – you're going to be compared to Phyllis Coates and in my mind, and you know, a few have gotten close, but Phyllis is Lois Lane. And I think this is another good example of that. Her and Jimmy getting into all kinds of trouble and needing a little help to get out of it, but going after the story.
1: This is a great episode for Lois and, and Jimmy. Yes. A lot of the episodes so far we've had, this is a Lois Lane episode. This is a Jimmy episode. A couple, a couple of episodes from now, I'm going to do the Drums of Death
7: mm, mm-hmm. in
1: Haiti. Mm-hmm. That's a Perry episode. Right. This is really the first time that you kind of see Lois and Jimmy on, on an adventure together. and Good chemistry between the two of them. Very mm-hmm. good chemistry. Yeah. And I
2: love Jimmy's loyalty. Oh, he's the best. He is, is just the best. Yeah. How you can discard Jimmy Olsen is beyond me.
1: The thing about Jimmy Olsen is he's at his best when he's on TV. Because you can do an episode about Jimmy. Well,
2: you got more room. Yes, you do have more room to explore his character and show that he's more than a punchline.
1: Right. Look at every Superman movie that's since Mole Right. He wasn't in Mole No. He was, as far as the Christopher Reeve movies, he was kind of just there. Right. He was a punchline in Superman Returns. So the movies have a history of wasting the character. Yeah, I think So so. TV is really where they've... Allowed him to shine. Right. See, the problem Jimmy faces is, nowadays, the days of Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, is kind of behind us. Oh, yeah, it's gone. And that's so, that's just really
2: too bad. I
1: think even nowadays, the com- even the comics struggle with what to do with right. him.
2: Right. They used him a couple of times, I thought, particularly towards the end of the New 52, when Superman was having some problems with his powers. And at one point, it was kind of a Jimmy-centric story. When he, I guess it was the, the issue when he was telling Jimmy that he was Superman. Uh, I thought they handled that pretty well. And I'll be curious to see how Tomasi and Jergens handle him now. We've seen him a little bit in the new stuff, him trying to figure out, and it was kind of fun in one of the rebirth issues for a few pages. We were kind of seeing the scenes play through his eyes actually. Wait a minute. How can I have a Clark Kent, Superman, Lex Luthor and Doomsday all in the same frame? Right. Yeah. I think I'm going to
1: take that picture. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. And so all the problems with Jimmy nowadays, it's all Jack Larson's fault because he was so damn good as Jimmy in the show. <laughs> right. That the character is still around. <laughs> right. Exactly. They
2: just don't know what to do with him now.
1: Jack Larson really defined this character. Yeah.
2: And and like you say, this is a good episode that shows the good working chemistry I think between Phyllis Coates and Jack Larson. A good Lois and Jimmy
1: episode. It is. And uh uh, uh, and you mentioned uh, when uh, Mendoza comes up to Lois outside the, the auction house. She's not, she doesn't know who he is, and she's just not going to give that tapestry to just anyone. She has no reason to believe him. And, and he looks like a bad guy. He does. You don't get a scar across your face like that by accident. No,
2: and this was in the days where, you know, if you were going to watch a TV western or a movie western, the good guys always wore the white hat, and the bad guys always wore black hats and always had some sort of a problem with their face. Right.
1: Always. So speaking of Jimmy, he is at, he is in Clark's office with Lois and Clark, and they're looking at the tapestry, and he can't get past the fact that the tapestry has a hole in it. They're telling him what it really is, and they're like, nah, it's just a hole. And you know what I noticed about Clark's desk? Where's his typewriter?
2: Oh, it's only there when he needs it for a prop.
1: I guess I guess Clark is strong enough that he can just put his typewriter on the desk when he <laughs> right. when he needs it. Lois's typewriter always seems to be there. So Clark goes off to the morgue where he gets a chance to do Jimmy's job and phone in some exposition, telling Lois that Professor Lavera has been killed. And this is where Mendoza shows up, he threatens Lois, and and even a good Phyllis Coach scream can't keep her from being knocked out on the floor. Yay. So, yep, we got a great Phyllis Coach scream right here.
2: Yep. Actually, every time Phyllis coach screams, it's a great scream.
1: That is true. Yeah, she really screams in the robot episode.
2: Mm-hmm. Robot episode, by the way, is the closest we come to seeing Superman actually fly with her. He doesn't. He picks her up towards the end in one arm and something else in the other arm and starts to walk towards the big window. Yeah. But doesn't actually take off. Did he have something else in his hand? I don't remember. I thought he had something else in his left hand. And he He picks her up in his right arm.
1: Yeah, he kinda, and she's really horrible. awkward.
2: It looked really awkward, too.
1: It did. It looked horrible. I, I commented on that. Yeah, it looked bad. Or I'm going to comment yeah, on Yeah, it that. was
2: very stiff, very awkward. And I haven't seen that episode. I guess last year, MeTV showed it, and I caught it.
1: Right. So anyway, he sees her knocked out. And this is the where I mentioned before, the cop follows Clark into, into the alley, and he just has this dumb look on his face when Superman flies off. Right. I don't know who decided to put that in there, but I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, it was funny. Because normally they don't interrupt that shot. Mm-mm. They kind of run that shot as is. And uh...
2: <sighs> But it would be funny. They could have if they had wanted to. Every time they use that scene from then on of Clark running into the alley and Superman running out, stopping and then taking off on the wire. They could have carried that as a joke throughout the entire series. I mean, imagine this time it was a cop. Next time a little old lady on the street sees him. Next time a kid on a bike. Next time. You know what I'm saying? Just keep. Yeah, somebody every time sees Clark can't run in and Superman come out. They didn't
1: do that though, not at the pace they were filming these episodes. No,
2: no, and I'm probably got, the first one to ever even think of it. So there.
1: Yeah, probably you probably are. I didn't think
2: of it. <laughs> but it would have been a funny continued routine.
1: It would have been, but they didn't have they didn't have the time for that. No, they didn't. So Superman are, helps Lois out in her office and. Superman knows everything that's going on, and apparently his favorite excuse is that Clark told him about it. Of course, and, Little
2: Bird told him.
1: Exactly, and uh, Superman is trying to let get Lois to let Clark handle it, but of course she's going to refuse. And Lois follows this up by uh, Perry going into Lois's office, doing what Lois does. She's asking Perry's permission for to go to Peru, but she's already made the reservation in his name. Well,
2: of course she has. Yes. They probably used that same bit, I think, in Superman 1 or 2 or 3 or 4 or something. Might have been 3, the one where Lois is in the beginning and then we don't see her anymore because she has to go on another story.
1: Well, she was going on vacation. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay. But she stumbled into a story while she was on vacation. Oh, okay. There's a little line about that at the end. But <laughs> this is where Lois grabs Perry's face and... Plants one him on kiss. him. Just plants yeah. one on him. And I love... John Hamilton's reaction. He doesn't quite know what to do. Well, it's
2: weird because knowing that was coming today, I just watched that entire scene, watching them both and then played it back because to see if, did she give away the kiss before it happened? And yes, she does. You can tell while he's doing his little rant, she's getting ready to grab him and do it. She's waiting for the pause. And there was a little twitch at one point, which almost made me think John Hamilton added an extra... Line or two or a word or something, right? But uh, just a terrific scene.
1: Yeah, and even before that, he's yelling, and he asks if she made the reservation. She's like, you know, almost given like that little, like that little kid would. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And <laughs> and she he wants her to take Jimmy for protection. <laughs> what is Jimmy going to protect her from? Well, Harry wants Lois to protect him from Jimmy. Right. here Get him out of here. Take he, him with me. Just head.
2: just take him with me. Right. Because this, so, this Jimmy doesn't have a signal watch yet.
1: No. But this Jimmy just had to get out of Perry's hair for the day. Right. And yeah, so. Peru, why not? Yeah, why not? Send him to Peru. Get him out of here. Perry's probably thinking maybe he won't come back. And apparently as this plane flies, I don't know if you caught this, but it made the same sound that Superman makes when he flies. I actually thought, wait a minute. Maybe they were doing that to tell us that Superman was flying He's also along.
2: flying over there on his own. Yeah, maybe. See, that's how I took it. That's I when I heard that. the Superman sound, because they've never used it for a plane before. No. And then when Superman or Clark does show up there, so I'm was taking that that they were being clever. They may not. I'd be making I might be making this up on my own. But I think they were being clever because I noticed it jumped way out at me today.
1: Yeah, it did. And it me was too. just
2: because there was Superman's, you know, his sound. Yeah. He was flying, so I assumed that was their way of audibly telling us that Superman was trailing or flying with or next to or around the plane as Jimmy and Lois are on their way.
1: It is possible, but bear in mind this is also the same show that will accidentally use the landing sound when he jumps out a window.
2: Yeah, well, still.
1: (laughs) This is where they get to the hotel, and Jimmy is very proud of his crummy Spanish. And I'm willing to bet that Jimmy is the one speaking the crummy Spanish, not the hotel.
2: Yeah, I would think so. I would think so, but it's a good joke. Yeah, what you it expect? is a good joke. It's a crummy hotel. They speak crummy
1: Spanish. Yeah, gracias.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Jimmy is asking a, a crab driver in Peru if he speaks Spanish. I think it'd be weird if he didn't speak Spanish. Right. Lois is just sitting there. Well, she's. I think she. She's very she's, cute. She's cracking it up. She's
2: very cute in this scene. She is. The looks she. The looks is that she's giving Jimmy and the cab driver. She's enjoying yeah. the whole bit.
1: She is. She says, oh, "Yes, you're marvelous, Jimmy." <laughs> One thing I'm noticing early on: they very rarely call him Jimmy. Most of the time, Clark always calls him Jim. Lois will drop in a Jimmy once. In
2: right. A Lois will call him Jimmy. Later, Clark and Superman will call him Sport. Right. In fact, in the whole series, Superman to everyone but Jimmy is formal. Right. He will say Miss Lane, Mister White, Inspector Henderson. But as Clark, he's first names with all of them. But with Jimmy, he treats Jimmy the same whether he's being Clark or Superman. Right. And I always thought that was an interesting tell, that he did treat him as if he's my bud. He's my pal. Shows up sometimes with tickets to the White Sox and calls him sport. And then later in the same episode, Superman does the same thing. Loved it.
1: So the police captain, they get to the captain, and he directs her to Dr. Quest's office. And uh, the captain is being very gallant, giving her the kiss on the hand and... I love the look on Jimmy's face when this happens. I'm, I'm. was almost, almost waiting for him to hold out his hand. He's, like, he's thinking, "What's going on here?" I guess Jimmy's not familiar with uh, gallantry. <laughs> they go to Dr. Quest's office. This is when Clark shows up, or not shows up. He's already there, but he's sitting in that chair like he, like he's the cat swallowing the canary.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: He's like, "Yeah, I'm here." And this is where we get that great line of him. When he's in a hurry, he really flies. And now we kind of find out why the tapestry, why why Lois's tapestry, at least, has a hole in it. Because that tells us where the mysterious treasure is going to be. And so from this point, kind of, the race is on. uh, Lois resents the fact that Clark is even there.
2: Yeah, she didn't want to share this story with him at all. No. But that's typical.
1: It is. It's normal. So she identifies Mendoza to the police. And yeah, we know he's a very dangerous criminal. Thank you for the police captain for telling us. We've already seen him beat a man to death with a gun, at least off screen. This is the point where Anselmo, played by Stephen Carr, he's ready to take Lois to the country and Lois really doesn't want to go anywhere with him. You know, This, this is the part where you start to notice there's something up with this guy. because You noticed it before in the previous scene where he kind of gave this meaningful look when Dr. Cuesta opened the safe. Right. And, and obviously now he's coming in as he grabs the tapestry in the middle of the night and then places the call to Mendoza. Stephen Card is getting a chance to, uh, in these later episodes, he's getting a chance to play some criminals. He's going to be a criminal again in double trouble. He gets to stretch. He does. And he, in this episode, he gets to stretch the, uh, your disbelief that he can do a Peruvian accent. Yeah, really? The next morning, I'm assuming this is the next morning, and this is when Clark gives a little geography lesson about how the hole in the tapestry reveals where the treasure is, and... I love how Lois sarcastically tells Clark to tell her about it sometime, and, well, Clark decides to tell him about it right now. I love Lois's sarcasm with Clark in this episode. She basically does everything except tell him to get his butt back to Metropolis. Right. They're driving out there, and they're holding the water jug on the outside of the car handle. <laughs> wouldn't it be easier to leave the thing in the car? <laughs> but
2: it wouldn't be a plot device if it was in the car and we didn't see it. No. That's the way they have to also let us know that they're going to a place that's very dry and probably not going to have any water.
1: Right. As if the desert landscape behind us <clears throat> wasn't enough of a clue. Right. And this is where Anselmo shows his true colors the lowest in Jimmy, as he just he basically kicks them out of the car and leaves them leaves them in the desert. Nice guy. He is. But at least he doesn't shoot them.
2: Well, true. Not a lot of shooting going on, but you know the desert's a good, easy place to kill somebody. And the stupid right. gringos are going to be out there roaming in the desert and get lost and die. That's it's an easy cover up, but it's a yeah. good scene of them falling down it and, and her actually telling Jimmy, "You up for it? Let's go. We want to. We don't want to go back the other way. Let's follow the tracks."
1: And yeah, you know, they both, you know, they both try to f- give them credit. They both do try to fight off Inselmo before they. They wind up losing, but well, that's they tried. that's a
2: serious fight scene. Both of them jumping that on that guy hard time. Lois is really giving it to him. He is, and so is Jimmy. So is Jimmy. Just didn't match up with him though.
1: But no, but you know, Jimmy never does. No, but it was, but he tries. Good try. He tries hard. So, and now, like you mentioned, they follow the car, and it's a good thing. That apparently, this cave wasn't far away. Apparently, it was in, it was within walking
2: distance. So. Um, apparently. Which tells me the crook wasn't real smart. If he was going to drop him off in the middle of the desert, he could have taken him yeah. out a little further away from his hideout. Right. Or the cave where he's got all the stuff.
1: And uh, so they they catch up to the cave. And uh, isn't it lucky for, for Mendoza that he happened to dig up some iron shackles? How about that? Yeah. And Jimmy gets a concu- probably gets a concussion right here when he gets hit over the head with a gun. And this is the point where I noticed that Stephen Carr was in Selma. I don't usually look at the cast list before I watch the episode, yeah. but I glanced up at it at that point. It is him. Mm. Because <laughs> they, they do a pretty good job making him up to look different <clears throat> in every episode. Right. I'd love to know how he wound up with just about every episode.
2: His brother's directing it.
1: Uh, well, yeah, his brother is directing, but <laughs> he's also the dialogue supervisor or whatever. Yeah, I
2: don't know how much he really did in that in that position.
1: But, but he was the uh, the guest star for nearly all episodes. Right. All, and only in season one. There he there he is, and Jimmy uh, and Lois are all chained up, and Mendoza is a wall away from the treasure. But he does tell them that he regrets leaving them in danger, and uh, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. They say that,
2: because that's how yeah. they
1: are. Right, but they don't regret it. No. As long as he gets the treasure, he don't care who gets blown up. Yes. Yeah. Kaboom. But as he kind of walks away, they hear the familiar wind whistle, and they realize he's coming. I love that sound. It's a great one.
2: It's a sound I was making as a little kid with my cape
1: on. Right. Superman shows up. He frees them, and he uses he used the dynamite to trap Mendoza and Anselmo Now, I don't actually know if you know this. I didn't know this until today. That The dialogue where George Reeves says that they're trapped was recorded later.
2: Uh, I did not know that.
1: Who's Can you, you actually there? hear it?
2: Does it make an obvious sound? I didn't pay attention. I didn't notice it to that. Well,
1: you you don't see his face. The voiceover is on the shot of him opening the chains. Right. So probably if he was speaking, they would have, while filming, they probably would have made, they had the uh, camera on his face.
2: Well, uh, because I've noticed several other places throughout the series where they show the back of someone's head and have dialogue that, you know, they didn't say it at the time.
1: Right. Because apparently the reason, reasoning, at least what I read, is that the dialogue was put in there to say that he merely trapped them. Because without that, it implies that he, that he the killed them. Right. Them. It was okay a couple of weeks ago to inadvertently cause <laughs> people to fall off a cliff, but right. you got to be careful with the cave. In. Right.
2: <laughs> Fan mail came in. Right. Even though all of
1: these were already shot before the first one aired. Right. But it's interesting because you wonder how much, how many of these early episodes were suitable for children.
2: You know, uh, it was a different time, and you, you watched it, and kids watched it, I watched them, and, and like many of these episodes just scared me to death. Right. And I think they scared a lot of little kids, but particularly the first season, not so much second, third, fourth, than the rest of it, yeah. but one of the shows coming up later, The Evil 3.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that oh is a my God. S- scary episode. That's one of my top. Yeah, they're mine, they're mine too. Yeah. One of those ones, one of the episodes I've seen forever. Yeah. Great, great, great episode. That is a great. Do you have anything else on this? No, I think that's about
2: it. I do enjoy this episode. I think that the Incas is is uh, a good solid you know, episode, first season episode. It's different than the rest of them. Uh, they get out of the offices. There's some nice location shooting. The, you know, you got deserts and some other stuff. And as usual, Phyllis Coates and Jack Larson uh, are just great in every scene they're in together. They're just really terrific.
1: You make twenty-four episodes in a season; they're not all going to be the stolen cast.
2: No, no, but
1: can't be. this is an uh, this is a very entertaining episode. Like you said, it's a solid entry, and right, it, it's good. And it's not great, but it's right.
2: good. I think in the beginning, when the way it started, you would almost think, "Ooh, good! We're going to have another one of the oh I forgot the name of the episode, but the one where the woman uh, refugee had her father's monkey mystery. Monkey mystery. The monkey mystery you know, the beginning of this one, you think with the guy with the scar and this tapestry that given a thousand dollars, what the mystery, Ooh, this is, yeah. you think, wow, this is going to go somewhere. And it kind of goes to uh you know, a car chase, not really a car chase, but a, who done? Uh, you yeah. know, it goes to kind of a race to the treasure. A race to the treasure, exactly. And nice. didn't quite hold up, I think, to the promise of the opening. But again, it's still a first season episode, and I'll put it right up there with the rest of them. It's still a good, solid episode. George Reeves is so good; he's so confident in the role, and even in episodes like this. That aren't the best, but they're not bad. All of the cast members, I mentioned this before, they're totally right. into this episode. Every one of them are into their parts. They're not doing it for camp. They're not playing a game. They're selling it. and
1: They are.
2: And uh, so, yeah, I still think it's a good episode. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, I did too. I and mean, like I said, another another solid entry. Yeah, very solid. Yeah. You know, like I said, not not the best, not the worst. It's, <laughs> right. That's good. Right. That's good. Yeah. yeah. It's probably not one that I, if I wanted to watch an episode, it's probably not the one I'd put in. But I'm not skipping it if I'm watching the whole DVD either.
2: Exactly. I'm the same way. I don't think I have ever thought, I think I want to go pop in the DVD and watch Treasure of the Inca. And I have done that for other episodes. And not just episodes of the great first season. There are certain episodes, The Dreamer and some of the other kind of goofy, The Ghost of Scotland Yard. And there are some color and goofy episodes of second, third, fourth season. Right. that uh, I thoroughly enjoy and will pop in just to watch so right but this was a terrific one this was a good one mike this was good
1: so where can the people find you
2: they can find me at the superman forever radio podcast is the name of my podcast you can find me at the supermanforever.com that's where our website is and of course iTunes and anywhere else so and uh, i have a web, pa- uh, a facebook page for superman forever and it's called superman forever podcast page and i'm you can just get me bob fisher under the uh face old facebook thing there i have family friends facebook superman people all jingled up all at one time and i bet the handful of friends are probably a little tired of just reading all of my superman stuff on my facebook page but (laughs)
1: Uh, it's it's an interesting mix sometimes (laughs) it is is a little Mm, interesting you know you know it's very interesting when uh when I'm on Facebook and I see somebody from the Two True Freaks interacting with somebody I went to college with, right,
2: right, right. That is that is weird when worlds collide on Facebook. It is. but but I'm there. You can find me there. I I'll check in a couple times a day and try to post something either under myself or under the Superman Forever podcast page. There's been a lot happening in the world of Superman lately, so... Yeah, that sure you, has. You know, it's been fun. It's been fun. And Mike, thanks again for inviting me back. This was a lot of fun. I love talking about these shows, and uh, I guess I'll be back for another one down the road sometime, a or 2 I'll be back, do another one. Yep, yeah,
1: you, yeah, you will be, and you can send me feedback by emailing manscreen at gmail.com. You can find the show on Facebook. I got a Facebook group where a bunch of us kind of get in there and talk about a bunch of stuff both about these particular episodes and whatever else might be going on in the world of Superman on TV and in the movies, you can find that on Facebook by searching for the Man of Screen podcast. show is on Twitter. The Twitter handle there is at Man of Screencast, and you are welcome to review the show on iTunes. So next time, I will be on my own again covering the next two episodes on the DVD order of this show, Double Trouble, And Mystery in Wax. Mm, A couple of good episodes. A couple. So, for Bob Fisher, this is Mike Zumo. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good one. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all the opinions on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests, and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show, are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyrighted, they're original copyright holders. The Man of Screen Podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network, and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com
3: com. The homepage for the show is manoscreen.potomatic.com and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.